Coming up next on Grace Alone Radio, a message from the Primitive Baptist Pulpit. For further information about this sermon, locate our contact information on the feedback page at gracealoneradio.net. Now here's today's message from the Primitive Baptist Pulpit. If you'll turn to the book of Job, we want to look at the first chapter and the seventh verse as a starting point. I want to focus in on a little phrase, and Lord willing, I trust this will be an instructive message where we look at a, several different places in the scripture where this phrase occurs, and I hope it will instruct us. It has instructed me. Well, let's read in Job, the first chapter, and the seventh verse, and I want you to notice this phrase. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. I want to speak to you for a little while tonight on that phrase, to and fro. It occurs several times in the scripture. Specifically, this phrase occurs under this Hebrew definition. And we're going to look at several of those places that it occurs and maybe a couple additional ones that aren't exactly that definition, but they still have an application. Now, the context of what is going on here, if you're familiar with the book of Job, is the, the Lord has introduced us here, and, and many think that the writer of the book of Job may have been Job himself, but we are introduced here through the Holy Spirit, inspiration of the Word of God, to the man named Job, and it speaks of who he is and what he's doing with his life and so forth. And you come down to verse 6, after all of this has been introduced about Job and his family and what he has and how rich he is and how he serves God so beautifully, then you have this scene, if you will, this kind of second scene to this first act in the play in, of the book of Job. You have the scene of when it says in verse 6 that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Now, if you want to know what that means in terms of how we can understand that today. It just means this, that sometimes Satan comes to the church service. You say, well, it seems impossible. You know, I've watched vampire movies that if you, if you run into the church, you're protected, you know. Well, Satan is not a vampire. Vampires aren't, vampires aren't real. But Satan is real, and he travels about, and yes, I think he's gone into the church service walking right behind me before. It depends on what my outlook is, is, is on that particular day. I've joked and said before that a lot of times, especially when the kids were little, you know, we'd be coming to church and one would be crying, another would be pinching the other one, and one would be accusing the other. And, and then, you know, we'd pull up in the churchyard and we were all frazzled and frowned and sweating out our eyeballs, you know, and, and we run up to the church door and we, we get to the church door and say, okay, now put your church face on. <laughs> and start looking sweet and happy, you know. Well, sometimes I think Satan's been riding with me. You know, there's no question that Satan gets around. And he's not bound in the sense of, well, he can't go anywhere. He has legions under him. Now, don't worry, because there is a presence and a power in the universe that is infinitely more powerful than Satan, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his kingdom. But don't doubt for one second that Satan has a kingdom, and he is the king of chaos, but his kingdom is not chaotic. He has a method to what he does. And I could spend many hours describing to you how Satan has used things from 50, 60, 100, 200 or 300 years ago, and he just repackages those things and brings them right back to you. 
Anyway, that's a subject maybe for another day. But Satan is coming to the worship service. I hope and pray that he's not here tonight. I hope you didn't bring him. I hope I didn't bring him. Because he's a scary individual. But remember this, if Satan happens to be here tonight, and he's sitting back there somewhere and we can't see him, you rest assured that the Lord in heaven can see where he is. And the Lord calls him out when he comes to this worship service. It says there was a day when the sons of God, verse 6, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. I don't believe these children of God who came to worship knew that he was there because <laughs> they couldn't see him. And the Lord said, the Lord sees him. Now this phrase to and fro is important because I want you to notice that it is Satan's response to God's question. And don't think for one second that God didn't know where Satan had been. But sometimes you'll find in the Word of God that the Lord, even Jesus Christ, would ask his disciples questions just because he desires to hear his children's response to his question. Now this is God singling out Satan as he slips in among the worshipers and he says, Whence comest thou? God says to Satan. And Satan answers the Lord. And I want you to notice that Satan is the original smart aleck. Okay? He is also the original country music songwriter because he knows how to come up with the one-liners. There's all kinds of one-liners. And I, I, being an old songwriter myself from years gone past, we were always looking for the one-liners, the catchy phrase. Well, Satan is the king of the catchphrase. And you'll find catchphrases in, in the book of Job especially. You'll find catchphrases everywhere Satan shows up and when he speaks. Now, notice there's a great, when I say great, an amazing catchphrase that he says over in the Job the second chapter whenever the Lord says again to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says skin for skin. You know, he's always got a catchphrase. Satan says in verse 9, doth Job fear God for naught? The Lord says, where have you come from? The Lord knows where he's been. And Satan says, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. That's kind of catchy the way he says that. To and fro, up and down. You see that? So he's being a smart aleck. I want you to see what's going on there. He's basically saying, I'm going anywhere I want to go. I'm doing anything I want to do. I'm having my way. And if you don't think that this applies to today, if the Lord looked upon Satan today and said, Whence comest thou? He'd give the same answer. <laughs> he's having his way today. He is going to and fro and having his way through the, he's the prince of the power of the air and he's going wherever he wants to go doing what seemingly doing whatever he wants to do. There might be a bright spot here and there. Praise God for bright spots. But he says to God a smart aleck answer. He says, I've been going wherever I want to go and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. <laughs> you better be careful when you start challenging God. The reason I belabor that so you can see how smart aleck he's being, it helps you understand why God responds the way that he does in verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan in response to his smart aleck answer, what about Job? You see, the Lord's calling his hand. You think you can go anywhere and, every, and do anything you want to do? Well, you can't because you hadn't touched Job. You can't mess with Job. Job's my servant. He's one that is none like him in the earth. By the way, it's very likely that Abraham was alive at this point, known as Abram at the time, probably at this point, no doubt, a idol worshiper down in the area that he lived, later to become Abraham. But it's believed that he was a cousin to Job. But at this point, 
There's nobody like Job in the earth. And see, the Lord is responding in a very confronting way to Satan's smart aleck answer. What about Job? You can't do anything you want to do there because you can't get in there. And by the way, if you want to know why you couldn't get in there, well, obviously he was serving God, but there's some real pointed, descriptive things that Job was doing in his life that you ought to go and read way on in the book of Job, like in chapters 29, 30, and so forth, where Job 28, 29 especially, where he describes what he was doing. He may be getting a little braggadocious with what he's saying, but he's describing what he was doing that was keeping the temptations of Satan out. You say, well, I wish I could apply those things in my life like Job did. You can. Go and read them and study them. It's very simple. It's very simple. One plus one equals two type things. That's all Job was doing. It wasn't complicated. But God calls Satan's hand. He says, you think you can go anywhere you want to, to and fro, and up and down? But what about Job? Now, I want to focus in on to and fro. Because out of Satan's own mouth, he describes what he was doing. The definition of the phrase to and fro is a single Hebrew word. And it's interesting even the pronunciation of the Hebrew word. This Hebrew word is pronounced shoot. <laughs> shoot. And when we think of shoot, you know, we think of like shooting a gun and something comes out of it really fast. Okay? Now, it does not have the same meaning as what we would think of shooting a gun. But here's the definition of to and fro. Listen to this. To lash the sea with oars, to row, to travel, to go about to and fro as a mariner, a sailor, or as a rower. You know, the Hebrew language is a very picture-based uh, picture language. So when I think about lashing the sea with oars, I can just picture somebody, you know, just rowing, rowing their life away. I picture a kayaker, you know, where they're just, they're rowing, or, or some kind of boat that has oars on both sides. You know, the kayak has the single oar with each end where you can stick it in the water on one side or the other. And I just picture somebody with, with two oars just, just rowing for their life. It's a constant movement. If you're, especially if you're in a, a sea that is being tossed with the winds and with the water and with the waves, you know, you've got to row hard to get where you want to go. The imagery that's given out of Satan's own mouth is that he is moving about in a very rapid way, going everywhere that he can, causing as much trouble as he can. To travel. That's what I want you to remember about to and fro. To travel. Satan says, I'm traveling. I'm going anywhere I want to go. I'm doing anything I want to do. And nobody can tell me what to do how to do it, when to do it. Nobody can call my hand. And the Lord says, what about Job? You can't go there. Turn to Daniel the 12th chapter as we consider another to and fro. In Daniel the 12th chapter, we come to the end of the prophecy of Daniel. And there is no question that what Daniel refers to here in the inspired word is the last days, the end times. Okay, so look at what it says in verse 2, Daniel 12, and let's look, look at verse 2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is quoted practically by Jesus over in the book of John, uh, the, I believe it's the fifth chapter over there, where he speaks of the resurrection. Okay, and so we're talking about the resurrection, we're talking about the last day. And it says in verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. That's a beautiful picture of the glory of the resurrection for the child of God. 
But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. I think it's always important to point out there that it does not say wisdom shall be increased. Knowledge shall be increased. Y'all ever heard of Google? If you haven't, you probably live in a cave. You can Google anything you want to. You can learn knowledge about anything that you want to learn. I have done that so many times. I'm ashamed to say that there have been times whenever I have actually looked at Wikipedia to find the, the something about something from the Bible. That's terrible, isn't it? Like a town or a city or something. <laughs> you know, it's the first thing that pops up. It's, you know, you Google it and you'll find it. But that's not wisdom now. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. But in the last days, he says, knowledge would be everywhere. He says knowledge would be increased. There would be an abundance of information everywhere. And he said many shall run to and fro. Now I've read some of the older commentators about that right there. And I don't totally disagree with the commentators. You know, ones like Matthew Henry, maybe John Gill. I don't totally disagree. I've even read some modern commentators that tend to say, well, that's talking about people would be searching the word of God to and fro. That, that's a reference to that. Now, most of the references to to and fro that you'll see we're going to look at, there's going to be several more. None of them have anything to do with like symbolism. It's more like this is really running to and fro. This is like Satan. You, don't, you think Satan was being symbolic when he said, I've been going to and fro. <laughs> he wasn't being symbolic. He had been going to and fro through the inhabited parts of the earth, causing as much chaos as he could. So I believe that this is a literal running to and fro. It's the same word, shoot, in the Hebrew. And I think it means that people will be moving about at a high rate of speed. I think this came from a brother Sonny Pyle's sermon that I listened to years ago, that the fastest that you could go up until, you know, the 1900s was as fast as a horse could take you or a sailing ship could take you. Then the 1900s come along, and then you got a locomotive, then you got cars. Now you got, you know, did you know that there was a, there was some kind of jet that could take you in just maybe 45 minutes from New York to England. It was a supersonic jet and it operated for a while and very, very, very rich people used it. <laughs> and it went out of commission because they couldn't afford to keep it in the air. But that's crazy, isn't it? 45 minutes or less than an hour to, from New York to London? That is going to and fro like crazy. <laughs> I get in my car and we drive, leave our little home there in Gordo, Alabama, and we drive across the, the, the uh, southwest over into New Mexico and up into Colorado, and I tell you, we were moving at a high rate of speed. I mean, the speed limit out there is like 85 in some of those places. Now, I like that personally, but <laughs> I probably drive a little too fast. We move at a high rate of speed. We get in an airplane a couple days ago, and we go from early in the morning at 6.30 or so, and, and by the time 10.30 or 11 rolls around, we're, in, you know, we're over in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I get in an airplane several years ago in Atlanta, Georgia, and I fly to Ghana, West Africa, in about 11 hours. And I'm, it, yeah, it was a long flight, and I was all you know, sore and can't move around much, but I'm sitting there thinking, at least I'm not going three months on a boat. You know, and even if I was on a boat, uh, you know, that could probably go in two or three, you know, four or five or six days, it's still better to fly 11 or 12 hours and you're there just like that. We're moving about at a high rate of speed going to and fro. Now, listen, I'm not saying all that's evil. I'm not saying all every bit of that is evil. I like being able to get over here fast and hopefully, Lord willing, by the grace of God, pray for us. We'll be back in near Gordo, Alabama by six o'clock on Sunday night, Lord willing. 
I like to be able to get back to my family quick. But notice the point that he's making here at the time of the end. We have to be closer to it now than they were. That was six or seven hundred years before Christ came. Now we're almost 2,000 years past the time of Christ. And look at how things have changed since the 1900s. If that is the meaning of it, I'm willing to say to the old brothers, well, maybe it did mean searching the Scriptures and understanding the Scriptures better. But I don't, know that, I don't think we're living in that time yet because it seems the more that the Word of God is available, the less people understand about it. The Word of God is available more prolifically all over than any other time. And people know less and less and less about it. And I'm not picking on any of y'all. I'm not saying that to y'all. I'm just saying in general. People know less and less about it. But if that is the meaning of it, I hope it means that we're closer to the end. He says at the time of the end, many shall run to and fro. Several, well, it was last year, year and a half ago or so, I lost my mind, and Sister Tracy will confirm that, and I bought a mule. <laughs> and before I bought the mule, I, that was the beginning of losing my mind. I actually bought a wagon. And I, it was from a church member, Brother Michael, and it, you know, it was one of those deals where like, oh, man, you know, if you ever decide to sell that, and he was, well, the next day you decided to sell it, and I got to buy it, you know? <laughs> and so after I bought this wagon, you know, then I'm thinking, somebody says, well, you can't, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to have Sister Tracy pull that wagon? I'm like, uh-uh, she's not going to do that. <laughs> What are you going to do? Well, you need a mule. So here I go. I buy a mule. In my mind, I had envisioned if gas prices got too high, I was going to hook up that mule and I was going to let that mule pull me on the normally 20-minute drive to my office. But then I did the math and I was like, you know, how much as you have to feed it and all of this stuff, you know, and it'd take me two and a half hours. I mean, I really did some thinking on it. I'm that crazy, I guess. But I don't like these high gas prices. I just don't like it. So I sold the mule. Still got the wagon. Somebody's going to tell me, well, you need, a, you need another mule at some point. But that mule and wagon, if I had hooked that up, it would take me two and a half hours to get to my little office 18 miles away. You know, going about five or seven miles an hour. I can get in my car, and I can go to and fro just like that. I'm there in 20 minutes. He says, in the last days, many shall run to and fro. An old brother said one time, I don't remember who it was, but... He said, the devil lives in the busy. Did you know that? The devil lives in the busy. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be busy and we shouldn't work. It doesn't mean that. But don't forget, the devil is going about to and fro. And as we go about to and fro, as there's no question that we can go back about to and fro faster than we could 100 years ago, let's just be careful that we're not pacing with the devil. Are you listening to me? After COVID sort of subsided down in our area, uh, one of our church members who has little boys was playing Little League. So I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to get back out there. I'm going to start seeing our little church members again, playing this, doing that, whatever. And if I had any reservations or misgivings about how people were approaching the situation, and this was like a year later. I can't remember how many months later. Maybe it was in the fall. I can't remember. But I showed up at the, at the, at the Little League park. And I mean, there were thousands of people and children everywhere playing soccer, playing Little League. I mean, I was like, well, they must be over all this. <laughs> you know, and then I hear about people, well, you know, I just can't make it to church. You know, I just can't make it to church because I'm a little scared about this or that. I get being scared. But if a person is out there running up and down doing Little League soccer or baseball, there's absolutely no reason why they can't be at the church of God. 
where people cared. I don't think the people out there in baseball cared about me or knew me when I walked up and a few of them I saw sneezing and hacking and, and all this, you know. But when I get to church, my folks at church will say, if I got a sniffle or I got a fever, I'm going to sit out. Right. I'm not going to subject you because I care about you. Right. Are y'all with me? Yes. To and fro, to and fro. We got to be careful because the devil lives in the busy. All to and fro is not bad, okay? Look at Zechariah 1. All going about to and fro is not bad. Even the Lord has commissioned troops to go to and fro. Look at Zechariah 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 8. As you turn there, this is somewhat of a mysterious writing here, but I want you to get the to and fro because this is a good to and fro. And the, the context here it is the message, the book of Zechariah, and it's basically the thrust of it is a message to Zerubbabel to build the house of God. He stopped building. He went back from Babylon and traveled hundreds of miles and then for political reasons, because of politics, they shut down building the house of God. And so Zechariah is the message that God sent to the prophet to give to Zerubbabel to say, get busy, man. Get to building. And look at verse 8. He says, I saw by night and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, or like a swampy area, a bottom area where there are trees. And behind him were there red horses, speckled and white. He said, what in the world is this? Read on. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show you what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees, the one that was down there with one of those horses, answers and said, listen now, these are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. You see, <laughs> Satan may be walking to and fro through the earth, but the Lord has commissioned some of his own army to go to and fro, to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord, that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Now here is a situation where you know, we would think, well, rest is good, right? I mean, it is whenever you're really tired and if you're fatigued and so forth, it's good to get rest. This is not a good thing right here because these men, these angels and these horses, they've been sent out to, to go to and fro throughout the earth to see if there's anybody serving God throughout the earth. So not only does Satan go around and stir up wickedness and chaos, here is the Lord going around looking to see if anybody's stirring up spiritual things. So listen, he's saying it's bad that all of these folks are at rest. Now the context of history is where the, the nation of Israel and Judah had previously been wiped out and the judgment of God had come upon them for 70 years. So if you looked at Israel in those days from a natural standpoint, you would say, there's nothing there. It's dead. It's over. The dream of Israel has now ended. But God had something going on undercover. You see, he sent these people over to Babylon to let his land over there, the promised land, lie rest, lie at rest for 70 years. And the whole while, all the rest of the known earth is sitting back and going, thank goodness, that nation that claims to follow some God named Jehovah is no more. We can rest now because we've conquered the kingdom of God. Are y'all with me? So they ride through and look and they say, they report back to God and they say, all these nations are at rest. They're all doing their wickedness. They're all doing what they want to do. And there seems to be nothing going forward from the kingdom of God. And not only that, Zerubbabel, who you raised up, Lord, to send back over there and to build the house of God, he's sitting back and doing nothing. 
Because he's scared of politics. Now look at verse 15. The Lord says, And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, that are at rest. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. In other words, the Lord is saying, I'm not happy with them because they took it too far. They hated me too much. They went after my people too hard. And they have been too hard on my people. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. And a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet to the prophet Zechariah, he says, saying, thus saith the Lord, my cities through prosperity shall be yet spread abroad. And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Look at chapter 4. It's one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, at least in the book of Zechariah. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? Oh, you know, the church over here, Bethel, over here by the sea, it's just a small church. It just really is sort of insignificant in the scope and line of the world and especially of government and of politics and of world matters. And the Lord says right here, it's not a small thing. It's not a, a, an insignificant matter. That little church down there at Bethlehem that I've been pastoring for the last 20 plus years and it looks like nothing to the outside of the world. And, and you say, well, the Lord doesn't really care about those little people and those little things going on there. And let me say this too. I'm not saying that the Lord's only got His eye on the Primitive Baptist Church. I'm telling you, He's got His eye on pe His people wherever they are. And I, He's more concerned about what's going on with His people wherever they are than what's going on in the halls of Washington, D.C. Here he says, Hath the Lord despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. That's a carpenter term there. That's a measuring tool. And with those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. There's another to and fro. Did you catch that? You want to know what runs to and fro through the earth? It's the eyes of the Lord. I tell you, child of God, if the Lord's eyes are running to and fro, as He describes right here, I tell you, you can build the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how small it gets. It doesn't matter how forsaken it is. You can't get any more forsaken than the entire nation being wiped out and them being taken into captivity. And here is Zerubbabel coming back and he's sitting there scared and he won't do anything. He won't pick up his hammer. He won't pick up his plummet. He won't pick up his measuring tools. He's just sitting there doing nothing. And the Lord says, you started the foundation of the house of the Lord and it will be finished by your hand. Has the Lord despised the day of small things? You see how He's saying to him, don't you think for one second that what you're doing is a small work? Oh, child of God, member of the church at Bethel, member of the church at Bethlehem, member of the church at wherever, don't you think for one second that what you're doing is a small work? Don't you think that the Lord despises the small things? It might be the smallest of things. I tell you, through my years in the ministry, I have seen the smallest of things turn the hearts of God's people. And then you have situations like 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, where a prophet, very much like Zechariah, comes to a king named Asa. And that King Asa has looked somewhere other than the Lord for help. He's looked to a wicked king. He's gone to get help from a heathen king when he is the king of Jehovah's nation. I mean, how silly is that? So in that particular instance, a prophet comes to Asa in 2 Chronicles 16 and 9 and he begins to chastise him. And he says, 
Why are you going over here? You've already, and by the way, many years before in Asa's life, 20, 30 years before, he had sought the Lord. And the Lord had brought an incredible deliverance to the kingdom that he was the king over. And yet here he is, years have gone by. Maybe he's gotten bitter. Maybe he's gotten callous. I don't know. Maybe he's gotten stubborn. And years have gone by, and now he's seeking a foreign king to help him and pay him money. And the prophet comes to him and he says, you have done foolishly. You should have done what you did when you were younger. You should have done what you did whenever you were delivered all those years ago. And he says in 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. There it is again, to and fro. To, watch this now. To show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. That's not talking about sinless perfection. It's talking about somebody who's mature in their thinking. That I've faced this situation before like Asa had faced the enemy before and Asa had gone to the Lord to be delivered and here later in his life he's facing the enemy again and he goes to the works of men and the world of men to be delivered. To the kingdoms of men for deliverance. And the prophet says, Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. You say, well, that was a turning point for Asa, right? Well, in a sense, yes, but he turned the wrong way. It says, then Asa was wroth with the seer. He was angry at the prophet. And he put him in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the, at the same time. Isn't that just crazy? You say, well, that would never happen to me. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. It can happen to any of us. If we have bitterness or we have hard-headedness or we have stubbornness or stiff-neckedness, as it's called in the Word of God, the same thing could happen to us. Have you put the preacher in a cage before? Here it says the preacher was put in the prison house. He would not listen to what he said. Have you done that before? I know I've preached to people that have put me in a prison house, and I don't mean physical. I mean, I would tell them, this is what the Word of God says, and they just go, ah, doesn't apply to me, and just go on with their foolish endeavors, and they would be destroyed in many ways because of that, because they put the preacher in the prison house. Don't put your preacher in the prison house. It says the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth to see whose heart is towards Him, who's looking to Him, and to show Himself strong in your eyes. You see, that's not saying he's sitting there watching and waiting for you to do something. It says he's sitting there watching and waiting for your heart and your mind to turn towards him so that you'll see that he is the answer and then he will do mighty things. You see, he's not putting the pressure on you. People say, well, I hear it in other, uh, other denominational groups. They'll say, well, if you just have enough faith, if you'll just believe hard enough, you know, this cancer will go away. If you'll just believe hard enough, then this situation will clear up. I tell you, child of God, that's a misunderstanding of faith. It's not about the building up enough faith within you. Jesus said if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you could say unto this thing here to be picked up and cast into the sea. It's not about you building up enough faith in you. It's about you channeling and focusing that faith on the one who is able to deliver. So if it's cancer, if it's a sycamine tree to be plucked up and thrown into the sea, I tell you, child of grace, if it's trouble, if it's trials, whatever it may be, He is able whether he does or not, you know, that's in the mind of the Lord. It doesn't mean he's any less powerful if he does or he doesn't. But he is able. Asa had forgotten that. I think we have too. Here is a running to and fro that we are experiencing today. In Amos the 8th chapter. I preached a series on the minor prophets. and I didn't know whether to call Amos the fig picking sheep herder or the sheep herding fig picker. But that's what he was. Well, he was a, he was a big wig, let me tell you. A power player, you know, he was a, a shepherd who picked figs. <laughs> a nobody. 
You say, well, I'm a nobody. God uses nobodies. <laughs> he uses nobodies. And, and if you think you're somebody, He's not going to use you. <laughs> That's just the way He works. The way up in the kingdom is down. The way down is up. So maybe you're like Amos. So you think I'm a nobody. Praise God. God uses nobodies. Amos 8 and verse 11. He says, this nobody, this sheep herding fig picker, says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, and they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. I tell you, child of grace, we're living in a time like that today. God's people run to and fro. They look for this for help. They look to that for help. They look for this, that, or the other for help. And they can't find it. And it's the Word of God. It's the inspired love letter that the Lord has given to His people. That's where the answers are. He says too simple. That's how God intended it because we need it simple. By the way, that where it says they shall wander. It says they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east they shall run to and fro. That word wander is very much akin to the phrase to and fro, it means to stagger to and fro. <laughs> to wander means they're just wandering around. They don't, it's almost like moving around in the dark. And you don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're doing. God's people just wander to and fro. They stagger around. And then they ask, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? They can't find it. And then sometimes when the preacher comes along and says, here it is. This is it. They put him in prison. Uh, that can't, it can't be that simple. But it is. Now here's where we ought to be running. To and fro. So the next time you're going down the road, I hope you'll think of this phrase, to and fro. That in the last days, you are, and you're running about in that vehicle as fast as you go along and can travel way faster than the mule and wagon. Maybe you'll think that I am experiencing the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel. Now, if that doesn't make it real for you, I don't think anything will. But understand. All running to and fro is not bad. He says in Jeremiah 5 and 1, here's where we ought to be running to and fro. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. The Lord says run to and fro and find a man. Find one man that is going to execute judgment, that's going to stand for truth and equity. And he says, I'll pardon the whole city over one man. Sort of sounds similar to the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, doesn't it? Whenever the Lord, Abraham bargained with the Lord, he said, Lord, if you find 50, if you find 40, if you find 30, it sounds like an auction, doesn't it? 40, 40, but he's going down. And he says, if you find 10, and there weren't even 10 in the, in the city of Sodom. He says, go find a single man. Let me tell you, child of grace, what that tells you and what that tells me is you need to be looking for God's people. You need to be looking for those that are executing righteousness and doing right and encouraging them because they're getting fewer and farther between. You find a brother that's a true brother, a brother, a sister that's a true sister, you better hold on to them as tight as you can. I tell you, whenever Sister Tracy and I moved back from Nashville, we went back to a place that I had no idea if there'd be anybody down there that wanted to serve God. And we were very upset about that because we had some very good friends and we experienced the kingdom like we never experienced it before when we were attending Bethel Church up there in Nashville. We had connections with people. We had fellowship with people. I'd never experienced that in my life in the kingdom and, and with the truth and the spirit and the fellowship being there. So we were very distraught. We were like, Are we gonna, is there going to be anybody down there? Oh, I got more friends and, and dear ones in the, in the truth of God and fellowship with that I can even count. 
And I tell you, when I find them, when the Lord sends me out into the highways, into the hedges, and we begin to beat the bushes, so to speak, and we find a child of grace, and they love the truth of God, I tell you, I'm possessive. I want to hold on to them because they're so few and far between. I grew up in a time whenever you could hardly find a primitive Baptist preacher in the area that I was in. They had to drive for hours and hours to get to where we were. And now I'm living in a time where I, I don't know what to do with all these preachers. I'm like, I can't preach three or four on this Sunday. I can't preach two or three. I need to be careful with how I do it. I don't know what to do with them. i got so many now. Praise God. By the grace of God. Run to and fro in the streets and find those that are good and find those that are seeking the Lord. You say, well, they may not want to be primitive Baptists. Well, that may be the case, but seek them anyway. <laughs> seek them anyway. I tell you, child of grace, God's people are out there and we should be running to and fro to find them and love them and want to have fellowship with them. Now, bring our thoughts to a close here. Satan was running to and fro, bringing as much chaos as he could everywhere he went. He couldn't get in at Job's. He couldn't get into Job's farm, his house, his plantation. He couldn't get in there. God brought that to his attention. Let's make sure that as we run to and fro, that we're not just pacing along with Satan and his chaos. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you stop, and I'm not saying, you know, Cancel all running to and fro and get your mule and wagon like I did because it didn't work out for me. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Just recognize that's a fulfillment of Scripture that you're running to and fro at high rates of speed, way higher than anybody ever has. But I am saying this. When, you do, when that comes to your mind, if you ever stopped or, God forbid, ever been in a wreck when you're going to and fro, I mean, it's rough. <laughs> Several years ago, we were packed up for an 11 or 12-day trip preaching trip. I always scheduled our vacations and stuff around preaching trips. The Lord broke me from doing that. This is one of the ways He broke me. But we were in a motorhome, my parents' motorhome. I had a three-month-old Elizabeth and then three more little stair steps. So it was four, four children. And then I had my mom and my dad. My dad had recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's, so he was not able to assist and do the things that he was wanted to do, could do, or wanted to do because of his health condition. So Sister Tracy and I, of course, were very able-bodied, so we strike out on a Wednesday night, loaded down like you wouldn't believe. I even had my, I even had my barbells in there for the 12-day trip because I'm going to make sure I don't miss working out. <laughs> so we get to the first exit right outside of... Of, of Atlanta, we get the first exit across the Georgia line, and I kid you not, the oil pan, the engine threw a rod, and the oil pan just falls out of that motorhome. It's like a 40-foot, 35-foot motorhome. It's 11 o'clock at night. You talk about going from running about to and fro to being completely dead stopped. <laughs> that was a nightmare. And sadly, you, my wife can verify it. You know, I, I was so worried. We're on the side of the interstate, people whipping by and the, the things shaking, you know, as trucks going by. And every time a truck goes by, you know, I'm scared to death. I got a three-month-old in there. And so I did what no man should do, which is slip into general mode. Start barking order. And the sad part about that, you might need to be in general mode a few times, Brother Michael. You know that's the case. Sometimes you got to go into general mode. But when you can't get out of it, that's the problem. So for the next 12 days, I'm in general mode. You know, we're at, we're at Disney World, and I'm barking, have fun, get on the ride, be quiet. I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't divorce myself from general mode for the rest of the trip. It was a nightmare going from 
trucking down the road, going to and fro to complete dead stop. And I'm not saying turn your cars in, turn your motorhomes in. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying recognize in your mind that that's the pace that Satan keeps. And be careful sometime if you might look over to your right or to your left or in your back seat, he may be back there <laughs> pushing you along at that pace. But wouldn't it be better to be running along at a, at a breakneck pace like that, seeking out God's people and doing the will of the Lord and going to meetings and, you know, you say, well, I, I can't go do this anymore. I'm not saying you can't go do that anymore, but just add that to it. You're already running to and fro. <laughs> just put the kingdom of God in there and run to and fro to the kingdom of God, to the people of God. The Lord's eyes are running throughout the world now, seeking those who are looking to Him. May we be found in that type of mindset. been listening to a message from the Primitive Baptist Pulpit. Would you like to hear this message again? You can find additional airtimes for this sermon by consulting the schedule at gracealoneradio.net.